Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hail from the Bleachers. We are on episode four and uh, might sound a little different today. I am actually calling in remotely with my co-host Chance. Chance, what's up, man? What's up? Why do you sound so funny over there? Well, um, I am currently in balmy Orlando, Florida, and we are taking a little bit of a, a mini vacation um, amidst all the craziness going on. So uh, we are doing our first remote session, and uh feels funny not being at the, uh, at the studio with you, my friend. It does feel a little weird. But, you know, these are weird times, um, as we've seen. Uh, we are in a bit of a unusual territory with our Michigan football team. Why don't you kind of give us the lowdown of what happened this weekend, Chance? Well, uh, two weeks ago, we played Michigan State. Didn't play well. So you would presume going into this game against uh, ranked 13th in the country, Indiana team, who was going to be really hungry for a win because it had been like 33 years and like 25 games that Michigan had beaten Indiana in a row. And for reasons that, well, baffle me, yet again, this team came out completely unenthused and didn't look like they wanted to play football. And I have no idea why. They just looked disinterested the whole first quarter. They're lethargic. And by the time they, they want to play football, they dug themselves too deep of a hole and they're not able to pull themselves out. Yeah, it was frustrating um, and eerily similar to Michigan State Week. Um, for those listening, you know, we're going to do our best to kind of break down things as they stand. And obviously we'll try to we'll find them some positives because there are positives to be found. Um you know, even back in the dark days where we were going, you know, what was it, like three and nine or whatever, you know, there was still uh, still some positive things to be said. So um, I guess we'll start off with a bit of a game recap, just kind of the play-by-play. So Michigan came out um, relatively flat. Indiana goes up 14-7 at the end of the first quarter, and it really wasn't a close 14-7. Uh, Michigan scored on one long play. I believe it was to Cornelius Johnson. It was to um, Cornelius Johnson. Yeah, our, our big man on the, the receiving end. And that was about the only positive play, I think, <laughs> or one of the only, at least, from the first half. Um, the offense just really lacked, con- lacked consistency. Um, and, I mean, Indiana put up 24 in the first half. And so by the end of the first half, it was 24 to 7. Um, I, in my mind, sort of chalked it up as a loss unless it was like one of those Penn State games like a couple of years ago where, um, you know, we, we just turned it up uh, in the second half. And being that this team's a little bit younger, I didn't really see it happening. So surprisingly, though, the offense, they kind of pull it together. Um, they started, they scored two touchdowns in the second half, but they sort of just traded with Indiana because the defense couldn't get off the field to save their lives. Um so it's frustrating. So Michigan ends up losing 38-21 to to 13th-ranked Indiana. Like Chance said, the first loss in, what was it, 39 years? 33. Um, 33, yep. And so uh, that streak is broken. Um, not that that really matters a whole lot, but just for reference, it's the last time Indiana really beat us uh, in, this, in this matchup. So a couple of my sort of key takeaways initially um, – are a lot of the same issues that plagued us against Michigan State. And listen, Aiden Hutchinson went out with an injury, and if you haven't heard, he is done for the season. He will be undergoing uh, surgery on his foot for a fracture, for a fracture um, which is obviously awful, and we wish him all the best. But the D-line was already in trouble. 
Um, and this just sort of com- compiles or compounds onto that issue. Um, Michigan had virtually no pass rush during the day. I don't think they had a sack on the day, if I remember correctly. Um, and the the pocket just, it was there for Michael Penix Jr. And he had all day to rip us apart. And, you know, whether they were in position or not, the DBs, they can't defend a pass route for more than three seconds. That's pretty unreasonable to ask every play. So, as we might have expected, Vincent Gray and Jamon Green got burnt deep, and uh, uh, Wap Filor or Filior and um, what was the other guy? Uh, Fry Fogel. They had, Fry Fogel. Yeah, they had big days against us. So, the um, chance and I were talking before we started recording, I see the same issues as last week the offensive line and the defensive line. Michigan rushed for a total of 13 yards. Um, on 18 attempts, that is 0.7 yards per attempt. And yeah, sure, you want your running backs to you know make some space and make some plays, but 0.7 rushing attempts or 0.7 rushing yards per attempt, the old, that means the old line's getting no push. And then the other side of the ball, zero sacks, and Indiana goes for uh, 342 passing yards and 118 rushing yards. That means we're not shoring up the offensive line. So. Those are the two systemic issues for me, and we'll kind of get to talking about that a little bit more. Um, but I just saw the same issues, which means lack of adjustments. I feel like a broken record saying it, but where are the adjustments from the from the week prior? You know, um, what are you, what's your biggest takeaway out of this, Chance? Um, well, when it comes to the defensive line, our ends are getting that pressure you want, but basically our defensive tackles are getting nothing up the middle just absolutely nothing so it is creating this perfect pocket for the quarterback to step up into and it's just giving him all day all day to throw Mm -hmm. and you feel awful for the dbs who they're in position they're making mistakes because they're not turning their head identifying the ball they're doing some of the hand play by doing that little like tug and stuff that they, honestly, they've done for forever, so I can't blame them for doing it because they've gotten away with it for a while. Right. But it's just – it's frustrating. I don't know what has happened with this – why. What, what is going on is the confusing part because yeah. it just makes no sense at all. It really doesn't. And you had a good point before we got on air, Chance. You said that they, they just came out looking flat. And, yeah. you know, you never want to listen as a fan, you you never want to get in the heads of the athletes and assume, you know, what they're thinking or feeling. Cause these are, these are kids, you know what I mean? These are student athletes and um, they go through a lot of all the same stuff that other college students do with, you know, emotional highs and emotional lows. And it's a lot to ask them to perform week in a week out. Cause they're not pros. They don't get paid. Um, you know, they don't get a whole lot of special benefits outside of tuition and yada, yada, yada. But it it came across as un uninterested, wouldn't you say? Very uninterested. It looks like they're just rolling out there and like, oh, I guess we got a game. Oh, it doesn't really matter what we're doing. I guess we're playing a game here. So, like, what are you guys doing? Right. And by by the time they do kind of snap out of it, it's like you're down twenty four seven on the road. So it's that's a tall task to come back from. Yeah. So. Man, um, yeah, like you said, we will try to find some positives in here because there are positives to be had. 
Um, you know, there's a couple guys in the team who continue to shine and they're younger guys, which is encouraging, but I'm sort of at the point, the season chance where I'm sort of calling it a loss as far as being a meaningful season, just based on, um, I mean, we're three games in, so we're over or almost halfway through the season already with the shortened schedule. Yeah. And with the, the issues that I'm seeing, they, there's some issues you see that can be adjusted. For example, um, one of the issues that I've sort of, you know, pointed out to you earlier was um, the DBs. They, they're in position on a lot of plays, a lot of these big passes. They're not just not getting their heads around and they're not playing the ball. They either, you know, get too handsy with the wide receiver because they freak out and they don't want them to make the catch. They get called for a DPI. Or they they just aren't playing the ball. They don't locate the ball and the receiver's able to go up and just catch it over them, even though they're in position to make the play. You know, one of those or one or two of those touchdowns on Saturday, Vincent Gray and Jamon Green are, you know, one swat away from stopping the play. Mm-hmm. And they're there. They just need to turn their heads and figure out where the ball is. Um, and but that even so, even, no matter how frustrating that is, that's an issue that can be coached. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, what is it? Um, Mike Zordich, heck of a heck of a DB coach. He can get on those guys and say, "Hey, locate the dang ball," and they can fix that. But the issue that I'm seeing on the offensive and defensive line is it a scheme thing? Is it an effort? Is it a talent thing? Is it a performance thing? Those seem to be more root issues for me, which is why I'm sort of at the point where I've kind of lost hope in this season being meaningful. I'm just sort of like, let's let's hunker down, develop our young guys, and reload for next year. Yeah, when it comes to the D-line, I would say it's definitely, as bizarre as it is as we talk them up in the offseason, I would say it's a talent thing because that uh, 20, I think it's the 2017 recruiting class, they whiffed hard on the D line and that the lack of experience is starting to show when you don't have these guys that have been getting some time growing up and getting better and better and better. And they're just not there. So like, I think the only guys left from that class are Donovan Jeter, who the highlight of his career was the fumble that landed in his lap against Minnesota a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And that's it. He's the only guy left from that class. And he's the only one that really did anything because I, because another one, Michael Dwumfor, uh, he's with Rutgers now. And then John Irving Bay, I think transferred to central Michigan. And mm-hmm. it's just like all of these guys that, that was a big class and numbers wise, and they all just left and right. are doing other things. And then when it comes to the O line, it's just so much inexperience on that line. They're just young, right? They're just young yeah. across the board when you have, uh, only one returning starter, and then he looks like he's going to be out for an undetermined amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, this past week they started a freshman and redshirt freshman. Uh, yeah. What do you expect them it, to do? Yeah, things are looking pretty bleak for sure as far as the immediate outlook. Obviously, yeah. you, I, I still kind of like where this team is at in the long term. Because we got some young playmakers that I'm excited about as long as we use them the right way. But that's kind of another story. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good transition. Let's go ahead and move into Hail Yes, Hail No. We'll kind of get out of this pit of negativity. We'll try to highlight some good things we saw. So, Chance, why don't you start us off? What is your Hail Yes? Um, for those who don't listen normally, Hail Yes and Hail No is our sort of staple in this podcast where we 
you know, point out the the thing we liked or the thing we saw that we liked the most and the thing we saw that we didn't like the most from this last game. So, Chance, what is your hail yes for this week? My hail yes for this week is got has got to be the rookie, not the rookie receivers, but the young receivers, like Roman Wilson, uh, Cornelius Johnson, A.J. Henning. These guys are showing. I'll even throw Blake Horm in there, even though he's a running back. Like, these guys are showing that they've got, they've got, like, they have the talent to do it. We just need right. to get the ball in their hands. I yeah. don't care how it happens, but we need to get the ball in their hands. They are, like, Roman Wilson, touchdown. Uh, Cornelius Johnson had that huge touchdown, the first one in the game. Like, they're good. They're good for, because Cornelius Johnson's a sophomore, or I think he's a redshirt freshman. And then mm-hmm. uh, Roman Wilson's a true freshman, so that's right. pretty good for their their age and their experience. They're doing well, so they're definitely my hail yes of the week. Yeah, and you even saw they they have confidence in those young guys because you even saw a couple red zone um, targets to AJ Henning that ended up either getting overshot or just didn't end up connecting. But they trust them; um, they're going to him. So. I'm excited to see them use them, those guys more for sure. And they're, they're all speedy. So, um, Charles Jackson obviously had a couple of good catches as well, but I think, you know, it's, I think it's going to be wide receiver by committee with these guys. I don't know if you're going to have a, a real, a real standout number one receiver who separates themselves by, you know, several hundred yards in the season. Um, Michigan has had a couple, you know, breakout, um, wide receivers over the decades. Um, they go for you know anywhere close to a thousand yards. I don't know if we see that as these guys develop, but nonetheless, it is a positive. That was actually something that I noted as well as a hell yes. But in order to uh, differentiate, I will say that my hell yes, despite everything I've said about the defense so far, I will say my hell yes. <laughs> it's kind of a weak hell yes, but. I liked the improvement I saw from the defensive backs as far as being in position to make plays. Um, So I'm not going to say like, hell yes, the DBs played well, because obviously they didn't. They gave up 400 some yards in the air or something like that. But Jamon Green and Vincent Gray found themselves in position more frequently to make plays on the ball. Um, and, And I'll even throw the safeties in. Brad Hawkins... That dropped interception. Um, Which as one? Fr- <laughs> the one where he, th- where Penix Jr. like lobbed it up um, across the middle of the field, and he w- it was well, it was late and under underthrown, yeah. and Hawkins went up to grab so it, and close. yeah, Dax Hill had it, went was going up for it, and Brad Hawkins. I mean, he didn't know Dax was no. there, so he he's trying to make he's a play on the ball. ball. He's trying to make the play. Yeah, he's making he's the right play. It was unfortunate he drops it, but those. But they're in position, right? They don't mm-hmm. make the plays, but they're in position at least. And there's another play where Penix Jr. Th- throws a, an out route to the right sideline, and um, Michael Barrett went to go jump the ball, and if he's there a millisecond sooner, he gets a pick six. So those little things I noticed, I was like, okay, they're at least there. They're not getting torched by the by the outside guys repeatedly. You know, there were a couple times where they did get burned, but. Wap Filior is a very talented receiver and has done that to multiple teams. So I wouldn't blame them if they get burned a couple times. Now, I will say that comes with a caveat, though they have to start making plays on the ball. 
Um, the difference between those guys and the Levert Hills, Jordan Lewis, David Longs of the world, you know, our past standout defensive backs is those guys made plays in the ball frequently. You know, they weren't always just in, they weren't just in position, you know, in the receiver's pockets, um, making it hard. They were making plays. So I'd like to see it's, it kind of dovetails into my hail no. It's hail yes, you're in position to make the play, but hail no, you got to make it because that's the difference on those scoring on those scoring plays. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it was Jermon Green was, you know, if he just gets his hand out and locates the ball on oh, one of those touchdown passes, touchdown. yeah, it's it's no good. And then that was on third down, I think. So we get off the field, prevent a score, and uh, maybe that changes the course of the game. I will say though that stretch in the in the third quarter there where Hawkins drops the the interception, um, we still end up getting off the field, but then offense comes in and we throw an interception. That whole sequence, there were so many plays. It's like we could have shifted the course yeah. of that game because we came out on our first drive out of half and we scored. And um, those little things, uh, for example, the DBs not making those plays that that adds up, and you know. If we're able to make plays, maybe take 14 points off the board and give our offense a chance to kind of make the game more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, chance, what is your hell no? Well, my hell no is everything other than the young receivers and Joe Milton. Like, just what's yeah. going on? Right. Primarily, what's going on with the coaches? Because, Matt, do you know what the definition of insanity is? as said by Albert Einstein. I do. Why don't you tell me anyways? It is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Matt, mm-hmm. do you know what the first play call we did on offense against Indiana was? I actually don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm going to take a wild guess here. Um, run up the middle. Yes, we ran inside zone. And do you know why that didn't work? Why is that? Because we had a freshman at right guard and a redshirt freshman at left guard. That's not going to work. Even last week when we had more experience there before Mayfield and Ryan Hayes got hurt, our tackles. So they took um, Stuber moved out the tackle. I think Filiaga moved the tackle as well. And they replaced them with, on the interior guards, they replaced them with uh, Zinter and Barnhart. So we have, inexperienced now on the inside being hidden by the more experienced tackles, but running up the middle didn't work last week's Penn state. And then we just keep doing it this week. And it's just why, yeah. why are we doing this when it's not working at all? I agree. The confusing part, like they only passed to Blake Corum once. Do you remember what the play was? I don't. So Blake Corum swings out to the side from halfback, goes out on a, like a little, like a wheel route, more of like a swing route though, just going out sure. to the side on the flat. Catches yeah. the ball, gets twenty-one yards. Only time he did that all game. Right, we didn't we didn't go to him again. <laughs> like that goes into, and we'll get to it when I do my prediction. But to, like it's just confusing. Like I thought Gaddis called a great game, but. Like, after the first quarter, I think he got a pretty good game. It's just confusing why, like, his terminology last week, year was speed and space, speed and space, speed and space, and then we just don't do that at all. Right. We're still running, like you said, inside zones, up the gut, 
and it's it's predictable. I mean, we come out in the same in the same formation when we run it, mm-hmm. and I mean, we open the game with it, and they clearly the other team knows when you're down players, like you have to announce yeah. that they're not playing. They have scouting reports. Okay, Michigan is down two of their starting offensive line. They have two young freshmen and or redshirt freshmen on the right side. They're probably going to run it. Let's just stack the box, stuff the run, and there goes Michigan's run game the entire game. Like, we've seen this before. Do you, <laughs> The last time I remember seeing this sort of consistent underperformance because of either scheming or, like, just like you said, insanity, doing the same thing over and over, was frankly under Brady Hoke. Because there have been times where I'm frustrated with, you know, back when Harbaugh was calling uh, offensive plays, there were times where I was like, I don't understand that play call, but you get that with any team. You know what I mean? But I remember with Hoke, it was always like a Michigan set of downs was scripted. Run, run, pass. Always. It was run up the middle, run up the middle. Oh, we didn't get ahead of the change like we wanted to, so we have to pass. And... And like you said, we're seeing it the same thing now, and it makes you wonder what is going on with coaching. Um, you know, as we're sitting here, I'm I'm trying to t- trying to figure out. You know, obviously Greg Madison leaves uh, for Ohio State. Or he was serving as sort of a assistant DC, but mainly coaching the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Chance, do you know off the top of your head? Because I don't. Who is currently overseeing the defensive line directly? Um, I believe that's Sean Newell. That's right, Sean Newer, newer guy, I believe. Yeah, and it's tough to say because Sean Newer hasn't got a lot of his guys that he's recruited, you know, into the system yet. Because I think this is his second year, um, or something like that. Maybe it's it third. is his second year. Yeah, but you have to wonder. Okay, have we have we changed the philosophy and the defensive line as far as how we pass rush, or is it just that? you know, we're trying to do the same thing, but with different personnel, because if you remember before the season started, there was talk about the defensive line being one of the biggest strengths of this team, you know, talking about all the young depth that we have and think guys are standing out and, and showing out. And, you know, you always kind of take a, that coach speak with a grain of salt, but you have to wonder how did, how was it so, perceived that this this was a strength of the team when it seems to be one of the weaknesses of the team i mean right now the defense as a whole looks like the weakness you know the linebackers i don't actually don't think look terrible um no, you know the they, they look solid for yeah and, and, and with, with everything else going on they look solid right and mcgrone sort of dinged up uh i think michael barrett was also playing dinged up but those guys are playing well um the dbs clearly uh, need to need to to improve but those guys even if they do improve the defensive line has to get a pass rush going or else those guys are on islands for, well, not always on islands. Like we've talked about before, there is some zone in there, but those guys are defending passes for four or five seconds, which I don't know any guy out there who could do that on a, on a mm-hmm. number one receiver. So that leads me to believe are our coaches accurately assessing our team is the question that I had on Saturday. Um, because I saw, a uh, quote from a, a press conference with Harbaugh where he was asked um, something along the lines of how do you feel this team is as far as being competitive in the Big Ten? And his response, I'm paraphrasing here, was on a, on a, uh, as far as competitiveness, 
and talent, I feel like this team is at a championship level and we're competing at a championship level. Coach Harbaugh, we are one and two with ugly losses to um, an overachieving Indiana on the road, which is almost forgivable if th- there were different circumstances. Because there Michigan was going into that game two and zero, oh, like Indiana seems very legit, so I right. can't be upset about the loss to Indiana. It's right. lost to Michigan State, who got blown out by an zero and two Iowa team. Mm-hmm. It's just like baffling. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, and, and it's the way we lost to Indiana, right? It was because we lost the same way we lost to Michigan State. And had, had the defense been able to get off the field on 50% of their third downs, then maybe we're in a different position here. But yeah. it's the ugly loss to Michigan State, and then this, we lose the same way. Indi- like Josh pointed out last week, Indiana took the template that Michigan State laid, and they used it, and they beat us the same way. Mm-hmm. Um so to me, it's like, I understand as a coach, you're never going to throw your guys under the bus to the media, right? You are yeah. a, you're a team, you're a family, but at the same time, when is there some sort of recognition of, you know, I feel like our talent is there, but we are not competing the way that I believe we can. And that's on me. That's on the coaching staff. That's on us as a group. We got to figure that out. Why can't maybe, and maybe it's just the media type answer to say what he said, but at the same time, he has to understand it just comes across as naive. Don't you think? Yeah. It's one of those. I feel it's just coach speak, especially when it comes to Harbaugh. We know Harbaugh gives no rip about the media. He doesn't care. Yeah. He literally like does. He actively does whatever he can to avoid interacting with the media. So it's just a coach speak answer because he doesn't care what they say and what they think. Which is kind of frustrating because the media is obviously the voice piece, like the mouthpiece of the program to the fan base. But and recruits. <laughs> it it is what it is. I don't think Harbaugh I don't Harbaugh's obviously not a moron. Like no. he knows what's going on with the team. And so I don't think he actually believes what he said. I think he yeah. just said what he said just to answer the question. Basically, oh, I hope so. But I, it's one of those things where, like, I'm already irked from the yeah. loss, and I see it. I'm yeah. Like, what the what the heck? So going um, off that, um, so if you're going to like grade, whose seat is hottest with when it comes to the coordinator coaches and Harbaugh? So, like, if on like a scale of one to ten, what do you think? Uh, like we'll just do. Let's just do offense first. So, like, what do you think Josh Gaddis is at? Honestly, got Josh Gaddis is probably at like a two or a three, and the only reason being so ten being the hottest, yeah, one being the coolest. I say two or three, and the only reason I even say that is just because he, by association, you know, with the other coaching staff, is not as underperforming according to expectations. Because I think Gaddis is one of the bright spots on coaching on the coaching staff. To be honest. Mm-hmm. What about you? I would, I would put on maybe a tad higher at like a three or four, just because he seems to do such a poor job scout or like scouting his, against his own offense. Like, what what are our tendencies? What do we do a lot? So like, let's change things up. And because again, he kept running inside zone all game against Indy, didn't work. He ran it all game against Michigan State, didn't work. He ran an all-game against Minnesota for the most part. 
didn't work. Like at some point you need to like realize this isn't working. Let's adjust. And like, let's start doing, it almost feels like, I know we were saying he's creative and think out of the box. I feel like in fairly often he is like overthinking and like mm-hmm. trying to be too creative rather than just like, all right, that swing pass going to um, Blake Corum. That was an easy 21 yards. Is he going to get 21 yards every time we do it? No. But if we do it just occasionally enough, he's probably going to get five, six. So like, yeah. that's a good start. Like just start, the start of the game, we ran inside zone, got zero yards. Then we did, I think we ran again and did nothing. And then we're set up, start of the game, which we asked for the ball so we could go first. Like starting the game off and it's just digging Joe Milton a hole right off the bat. Yeah. And it's just, but, it's truly baffling. I agree. I think, I mean, the offensive play calling does seem to get kind of cutesy sometimes, meaning we kind of get in our own way. Yeah. Like, I remember there's a couple of plays earlier this year and, and last year would be in the red zone or like a third and fourth and short. And rather than just running something that we know works, like a quick slant or like a, a sweep to the right where we get a couple of yards out of it, we try to do something, you know, some sort of reverse, some sort of. Cutie, something too too creative for that situation. I appreciate the creativity, but sometimes you just got to do what you're really good at and just get the yards. Right. Agreed. For example, I actually appreciate this creativity, and he got lambasted for it by the media and the fans Uh, against Michigan State when they did a running back pass. Oh, yeah. A little floater. Because that is literally, if that was not like an all Big Ten caliber linebacker and I think is Isaiah Simmons or something like that. Isaiah mm-hmm. Simmons, they're all Big Ten linebacker from Michigan State. He just barely, barely figured out what was happening and got like a finger on it. Right. So if like Haskins gets like a tiny bit more lob on this, it's a touchdown. Oh, it was only, a great play call. The, like it was good. It was a good play call. The only thing I wish they did different about it because they did that on third down. I wish they had done that on second down when they first brought out. Uh, Haskins as the Wildcat quarterback. Right, right. Because, like, that's totally unexpected, but, like, do it right off the bat and give yourself another opportunity if that doesn't work. Agreed. Yeah. But, I mean, but even with a three or a four for Gaddis, yeah. we both agree that he is not anywhere close to the hot seat. No, he's not. I, th- I wish he would do a better job with his play calls just to help out Joe Milton because Joe is a start or like a first year starting quarterback. And it's evident he is because he's getting no help. As we talked about before the right. past two games, he's thrown the ball 85 times. Um, unless you have like Aaron Rodgers, Trevor Lawrence, insert other great quarterback here, Patrick Mahomes, like um, you're not going to win doing that. Right. Right. Like, especially He, that, he especially needs some way. sort of help. Yeah, and not the way that Michigan likes to play football. Even though yeah. we run a more spread base offense nowadays with more passing, you know, yeah, allegedly, this, this we still have to run the ball. Offense. Right. <laughs> you still have to have a running presence to loosen up the uh, the secondary. So, yeah. Um, well, I guess let's move on. Let's let's talk about Don Brown. Where do you think Don Brown's at? Um. So Don Brown comes in twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Defense. Five in the country. 2017 defense still top five. Uh, 2018 defense is more like top 10. Then last year defense is like top 25. 
And then now defense is what? Uh, we got to be down there. <laughs> There's 120 teams in college football. I don't think all of them are playing right now, but we're probably. I'll say 80 something. I'd say 70s, 80s, yeah, because we can't stop a nosebleed, man. So no. he's got to be. I'm honestly, unless they really turn it around, he's at a nine or ten. I don't know if he's going to be back next year, regardless of whether whatever happens with Harbaugh, whether he leaves, he resigns, he gets fired, he stays for another year. They do the contract extension they talked about in the off season. I don't really care, but like, regardless of whatever happens with Harbaugh, I don't think Don Brown's back. No, I don't either. Like, I. It's a little frustrating to say because he had been so good. And it, that he's it's the most puzzling thing as to what has happened with Don Brown's defense. Like, yeah. Because he was Dr. Blitz. He was all this stuff. Like, he had a great defense at Boston College before he came to Michigan. Like, what, like, obviously the sport's gone more offensive, but like, you still have to have a semblance of a defense. And right now, Michigan can't put anything together. Yeah. No, I would agree. Um, Don Brown's defenses, they've sort of, they, I mean, they've fluctuated. You know, we have up years and down years, which is pretty pretty average. Um, and even on the down years, up until this year, we've had a pretty formidable defense t- near the top of the Big Ten and still top, you know, portions of the country. Um, this year, I think every game we've given up at least 400 yards, something like that. Um I'm looking at some stats here. It's not telling me. Um, but anyways, yeah, I saw a stat where it's like the number of yards we've allowed so far this year, and it's just bad. And I know we reloaded at a couple of positions, but we also brought back a lot of star talent at most positions on defense. You know, we lose Embry Thomas. That hurts, obviously, for the secondary. But Mike Zordich has always said it's next guy up. So Vincent Gray – Guess what? You have experience. You're the next guy up. Uh, Jermon Green, you've had a year to learn the system. You're the next guy up. And so I don't think we can blame this this year's defense entirely on the youth. Um, there are obviously moments where, okay, yeah, they need to be coached up a little bit. But as the coach, your job is to scheme around that, isn't it? You know, you have a, you have a weak spot on defense. You scheme around that. How can I help this like young player out so that he's not an A? Tough predicament. Right. Like, a good example. So, Penn State game on the road um, against um, – so, the last time we played them in Happy Valley, the, the game where Roddy Bell drops the potential yep. game-tying touchdown. K.J. Hamler went off, and there was two times that he was one-on-one with Josh, Josh Metellus. And it's like – And those are the only okay. two plays that he did something. Yeah, and so schematically, it's like you have to understand you are not setting up Josh Metellus for success. He, Josh Metellus is a great safety. He was a great safety. He's playing. He's playing on Sundays right now with the Vikings. But guess what? He's not KJ a, Hamler. Yeah, he's not a cornerback. No, and you put him one on one up on the line with one of the fastest receivers in our conference that year. You can't expect him to, to succeed. So, similar to this year, you have seen. Your DBs, for whatever reason, have a hard time containing explosive plays. How can you set them up for more success? Because clearly what, you, what you've been doing has not been working. 
and you know maybe it's an overly simplistic approach to it you know there's probably more to it than just hey fix it there there almost always is so i'm not gonna pretend like i know the answer to it but i for all those reasons i agree with you actually i I mentioned it last week in our podcast i think don brown is in trouble um i think teams have figured out how to beat a don brown defense even when he's let up on his whole you know pressure man blitzing type schemes he's adjusted He's adapted, but I think teams haven't kind of figured out. Yeah, on the plus side, he probably ran like 65, 70% zone this week. But yeah. the fans that keep talking like, oh, run zone, zone saw everything. Did it? Didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> or at least it it didn't pay it opened, off. It opened up new problems. Yes. Yes, because like you was talking about, there were plays to be had, uh, two dropped interceptions that maybe changed the course of the game, momentum of the game, and a couple were a couple plays away from taking a couple of those touchdowns off the board uh, if those DBs kind of turn their heads around. So it's tough. I mean, it, you, you sort of try to formulate an opinion as the year goes on with, you know, is it is it performance or coaching? But the more you see the same results, the more you kind of lean towards coaching. So. I would rate Don Brown as being a nine or ten, um, at least in my eyes. The unfortunate—I don't want to say unfortunate—but the the flip side is Jim Harbaugh has made it clear that he loves Don Brown, and I don't think I've ever seen them get in a tussle on the sideline either, um, because he basically handed Don Brown the keys to the defense and said, "Hey, this is yours. Take care of it." Because a lot of head coaches, they're involved on both sides. Yeah. Um, he kind of just gave it up, which, I mean, is understandable. Don Brown is the top defense DC in the country um, and still probably is top tier DC in the country. But it's just I don't know, man. How many times can you, you know, have the same results, especially we talked about it against our rivals and not figure it out and still be around. So I, I actually think that Don Brown is gone at the end of the year regardless um, I think it's just time. And I, I hate to say that because I, I also really like Don Brown. Um, he's a football guy. Yeah, he's he's the classic football coach. Like he is. He just has he just has that personality. And you want to run through a brick wall for him, yeah. you know? He's a Ty Rod- Ty Rogers used to do um hype hype uh mm-hmm. videos for for the football team and. He used to get some of Don Brown's sort of halftime or pregame speeches uh, on, yeah. on video, and man, gets your blood pumping. But like at the same time, you can get you can get pumped every game, but you go out and lose by double digits. It's like, okay, is it really working? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it is what it is. It's so confusing. Yeah, I guess let's move on to Jim Harbaugh then, head coach. Um. I have been on the record on this podcast as stating that Jim Harbaugh is not in the hot seat, is nowhere close to it. Um, I still don't think his seat is that hot, but I think things are in motion. Um, I think these last two losses are pretty tough to excuse paired together, right? Like like we said, if you beat Michigan State handily and then lose uh, a close road game to Indiana, maybe we look a little – I would like to see us look a little more competitive – you know, it's a little bit different. We're two yeah. and one with a loss to a top thirteen team. Still, the same issues that we've had can't beat ranked teams on the road. But at hey, least hey. you're able to. Minnesota was ranked, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, 
have a hard time most of the time beating ranked teams on the road. Thank you. Um, we have beat other ranked teams. You're right. But even then, it's like you still haven't kind of gotten over that hump seemingly. But still, it's a whole different story if you beat Michigan State. Um, I just keep coming back to year six, and we're one and two. With two historic losses. That's one of the worst losses we've ever had in Michigan State on a down year where they had a first-year head coach. And this is a historic loss to Indiana because they haven't beaten us for 33 years or 33 games. So year six and we're still getting this with Harbaugh. It's like you have to think there's some sort of heat. I don't know if it's a lot because Warren Manuel has made it a point to say that Harbaugh is our man. And we're still up to this point, up to this year, we still have been competitive with top teams. So, I mean, I don't know. I think I'd rate him at like a six or a seven in my eyes, not according to what I've heard from the program or anything yeah. like that. What about you? I was According to the program, he sounds like he's maybe like a four. Because, like, you just don't hear anything about this. And Michigan traditionally is a school that allows their coaches to fail a little bit before they're fired. Right. Or they aren't quick to pull triggers on coaching changes, which can be good and can be bad. Obviously, there's pros and cons. I think this year really comes down to having it be this pandemic season where there's no, you don't have any of those softball games at the beginning of the year to work the kinks out, which especially with new offense, but like a bunch of inexperience, that would have been really helpful. So I give him a little grace with that, but at the same time, like, it's so frustrating. You can't lose some of these games. I know. So I'm going to say he's at like a seven or an eight. I don't think Ward Manuel, the AD, will pull the trigger and do it. But they're in a hell of a predicament because just before COVID, they were in the process of contract negotiation. COVID happens, and Harbaugh basically said he tabled the, the extension talks. Because obviously when there's all this budget stuff and cuts and everything, that doesn't look great. So, well, he's going into next year being his last year, and it's an unknown. Are they going to extend him? Are they going to let him go? Is he going to go to the NFL? He's going to resign. He could do all that this year, too. Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't think that, that's going to be a huge recruiting thing. Because they already have to fight off the NFL talks every year. Every single year. Every yeah. year. And, like, maybe he takes a job this year. Who knows? But, like, they have to deal with that every year. And now you're going into, is he even going to be there? Because, like, his contract is going to be done. Are they going to extend him? Are they just going to let him go? Like, they're in, it's a horrible predicament. And you, I know with the COVID stuff, the budgets are going to be a lot smaller compared to what they usually are. And it's not a good look to pay someone $10 million to leave. But yeah, <laughs> like I, I feel like if you're going to firing or let him go, you have to this year, because looking at the schedule, not to ruin our predictions for later, but you think like I think three and five is a pretty optimistic look. At this point, Maybe yeah, four, based, four, on, based on what we've seen, they snuck that out. But like three and five is looking pretty optimistic. I think. Two and six may be more realistic. Mm-hmm. So it's 
it's all who knows what's going to happen with Harbaugh. It's complete unknown. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like you said, look at the schedule: Wisconsin at home, at Rutgers, Penn State, and Maryland at home, and then you get at Ohio State. Yeah, and Buckers is not the Buckers of old. They actually look decent. Yeah, they have a defense. So and Maryland, who we thought was going to be great, looks like they're pretty good. Two and one. Yeah, two is younger brother, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce again. Talia. Talia. I think. Talia. Uh, he's he's pretty good. He is good. We'll just leave it at that. He's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's on the plus rough. side. Penn State's in the same boat we are, so <laughs> screw James Franklin, man. I mean, for what it's worth, Michigan if it's going to happen to anyone else, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's James Franklin, Penn State. <laughs> yeah, you there, can I mean, suck with some, us too. There's some solace to be had. I mean, Penn State's zero and three. I would not have guessed that. Michigan State's still one and two. They still have the win over us, so it doesn't really matter. But, um, I mean, Michigan State doesn't look good. <laughs> so no. They just got destroyed by an 0-2 Iowa team. So, I guess let's just go right into uh, Big Ten scores, what happened around the conference. Yeah, and we'll hop to a break. And then we'll hop into a break. So, we'll just go off the bat. The creme de la creme, Ohio State, Buckers. Buckers looks pretty solid, not going to lie. Uh, Greg Schiano, dude can coach. Because Ohio State looks great again, but... 49-27 for the win this time. Justin Fields still looks unreal. He's out of this world. 314 yards, five touchdowns, uh, 24 for 28. Like, he is phenomenal. He is so good. He has, I think, 11 touchdowns this year and no picks. Mm-hmm. And only, so he's thrown the ball 83 times. He has 11 incompletions, so. <laughs> Dude's pretty good. Oh, man. So, like, what, like an 80% almost completion rate? Something like that. Jeez. So, then let's go into uh, good old P.J. Fleck. And Minnesota finally got their first win against a COVID-diseased uh, Illinois team, who is 0-3 now. R.I.P. Brandon Peters. If Maybe if you <laughs> played, they would have won. But Minnesota right. wins 41-14. Ibrahim, oh my gosh. Muhammad Ibrahim went off. He's looking like the real deal. 224 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. Dude's good. Had himself a day. I, I'm pleased we held him in relative check. but He still ran for over 100 against us. Mm-hmm. But that's not 225 yards and four touchdowns. So Very I'll true. I'll take that. So talking about uh, baby Tua, Talia Tagovailoa. Just went off again for Maryland. Upset. I get, kind of upset. I guess not really much of an upset. Uh, they beat Penn State, regardless. 35-19. Two other, or Talia throws for 280 and three touchdowns. Runs for a bunch more. He's good. Mm-hmm. Um, not really looking forward to that game later this year. Nope. So maybe we'll figure something out by then. Then uh, let's just go right into uh, national championship contender, Northwestern. Because <laughs> that's still the only thing that makes me feel good about this season. 
they continue to be undefeated with a 21-13 win over uh, beloved Nebraska. So, uh, at least we're not Scott Frost and Nebraska. Remember when yeah, they were ranked like 23 last year to start the season? Everyone was talking about how Martinez was a Heisman contender. Mm-hmm. And he's not even starting anymore, is he? No, he is. He went okay. 12 for 27 for 125 yards, one interception, but then he did run it for 100 yards. That's impressive. He is something. So that gets us down to a little bro. I guess maybe not as little bro, but uh, Michigan State, Iowa. Iowa was winless going in this game. Michigan State sitting at one and one. It's in Iowa. And well, half time, it was not good. Iowa's up 35 nothing. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Final is 49 7. So that doesn't make our loss to state look any good whatsoever. No, I mean, it already looked bad, but this just confirms no, Rocky Lombardi didn't turn it, turn it around within a week. Our defense is just god awful. Our defense was just so. I'm not gonna say unprepared, but like they were just so content in like their own skills that they didn't like. I guess they were unprepared for what state wanted to do because they were just so confident in themselves that they didn't do anything crazy. They were just like, "All right, we can just outmuscle you," and that didn't work. Yeah, does not look good. Does that loss is only going to look worse and worse. A, yeah, it was a brutal loss to Iowa. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. But, hey, a uh, local kid, Tyler Hunt from Goebbels, Michigan, got Michigan State's only touchdown of the day. So, shout out to you, Tyler. I want <laughs> That's to do where, football with you. That's where we're at. <laughs> That's where we're at, man. And guess what? Tyler Hunt's a punter. <laughs> Punters are people, too, bro. All right, who's next? <laughs> uh, that brings us into this week's opponent, Wisconsin, who didn't play football this week. Their game against Purdue was canceled because of COVID stuff. So we are recording on Tuesday. So fingers crossed we still have a game happening. Not yeah, we'll sure, see. but we're banking on it. Yeah. At this point, I don't know, I don't know if I want them to play or not. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? Uh, it's not <laughs> a bad thing, but it's not a good thing either. Yeah. The host of a Michigan football podcast admits that he doesn't want the team to play football. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I don't know where I'm at. I I obviously want Michigan football to play. I just don't want to see the results that I think would, would, be, would come of it based on uh, current expectations. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, also worth mentioning, number one Clemson goes down this past weekend. The the Golden Domers from Notre Dame get it done. I respect the win, Notre Dame, but uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't play, so at me when you guys play him in the conference championship for the ACC. Then we'll see. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Because those, let's face it, those are the only two really quality teams from the ACC. And Notre Dame's not even in the ACC. They just joined for COVID. So, 
Like, right. It's, it took a worldwide pandemic for them to sign a one-year contract with a, with a conference. I mean, they're a part-time member of the ACC, but they don't get to participate in the championship stuff because no. they're only a part-time member. So, like, it took a global pandemic for Notre Dame to finally join a conference. Yeah, that's funny. And guess what? South Bend's an hour away from me, buddy. Why are you guys not in the Big Ten? I live <laughs> in the heart of Big Ten country. And it takes me an hour to get to your campus. Why are you not with us? Because they're getting the big old paycheck from NBC. That's why. And their paycheck is actually smaller than the paycheck from the Big Ten Network. The Big Ten schools. But that's another story. Ooh, that's a, the can of worms we're opening up. Yeah, we will leave that can of worms slightly cracked. <laughs> Chance spilling the tea. Um... All right, well, let's go ahead and hit a break. We've been chatting to these people for a minute, and uh, we will hop right back to it. All right, we are back. And uh, we are going to go ahead and transition here um, to the team we are playing this weekend, the Wisconsin Badgers, who have played a whopping one game so far this year. Um, We've talked about it in a couple of previous podcasts, but Wisconsin has had to cancel two of their games against both Nebraska and Purdue, uh, if I recall correctly. And um, that is because of a spike in positive COVID cases. On their on their in their program, and it seems like they've had a hard time wrangling it in, um, which is a tough blow to Wisconsin at this point. Because I think, are they still eligible for Big Ten Championship Week or no? So, they are allowed to miss two games and still be eligible, but because you need to play six, so ah, yes, that's why I think they're going to do whatever they can to play this game against Michigan. Because if they cancel another one. They can't go over the conference championship. And as we've already seen, the West division of the Big Ten does not look very good. So no. it's an Northwestern easy road is leading. Stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll transition to talking about that game. Um, <laughs> a little grain of salt. It'll be a little bit of, of a different preview. Chance will get into that. But, uh, yeah, we have a game this weekend uh, currently slated to be a night game. Uh, 7.30 p.m., ABC has the coverage, is at home. And so, um, again, nothing it's a huge difference this year because of uh, the whole pandemic. But we will be in the big house, so hopefully it gives our players a little extra boost. And uh, so we'll we'll have a chance kind of talk about the keys of the game here, then we'll get to some predictions real quick and easy uh, for breakout players, closing remarks, and then uh, any uh, final score predictions we have. So, Chance, what are the keys to this week's game against Wisconsin? All right, well, I'll explain why, but so we only have one key to the game this week. That key is that we need to score more points than the other team. And the reason there's only one key to this game and we don't have anything else is because Wisconsin's only played one game and they blew the other team out. So they've only played one game. That was three weeks ago. So they haven't really been able to practice much in this two-week span because COVID stuff, can't practice So because they had to pause all team activities. So they, this is almost like it's going into the first game for Wisconsin again. So 
they're a complete unknown because because when it comes to Wisconsin, we know they have 16 positive COVID cases. We only know who two of, two of those 16 are. We know that starting quarterback Graham Mertz, and we know it's their backup quarterback whose name's escaping me, probably because he's the third string quarterback of Wisconsin, and it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But so we know two of their quarterbacks have COVID. We have no idea who this other 14 people are. It could be uh, Ferguson, their tight end, could be sick. I don't know. Could be it. Could be Joe Schmo, the fourth string backup long snapper. Like we don't know who has this and who can play, <laughs> who can't play. Like they, Wisconsin's a complete unknown. So going off that, like it's tough to know what the keys to this game will be because it's tough to predict stuff. Yeah. And for those sitting there listening at home going, how can you possibly not know who those players are who have COVID? Um, It's most likely um, just some gamesmanship, Um, similar to how Jim Harbaugh has sort of delayed releasing a a full team roster in the past. um, You just you want to keep your opponent off their are on their heels as far as what to expect. Um, We were already sort of on our heels because really the only known commodity with uh, Wisconsin after their one game was Graham Mertz, the, the fill-in quarterback for Jack Cohn, who was out for the season. And Mertz will likely be out because he tested positive for COVID again. So so Mertz is Mertz is the, the most interesting question because I want, he's one of the only two players we know that tested positive. Um, he tested positive 21 days ago as of this Saturday. So that's coming down to what does the Big Ten define 21 days as? Right. Is it down to the hour? Is, is it, it down to the hour? Point? Is it down to the day? Is it down like, so if you test a positive that morning, does it have to be 21 days, like starting the next day? Right. Who knows? So Mertz might be able to play Saturday. Mertz might not be able to play Saturday. Big Ten, I remember asking you this two weeks ago before we played Michigan State. Well, what's, uh, What's up? You're gonna have to give us something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like we like we said, he's the only known thing about this team. Um, Dude threw for 250 yards, five touchdowns, 20 for 21. That's a 95 percent completion percentage. That's fantastic. That's Even if they That's were crazy. playing some crappy team. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, there was Wisconsin, so we can, we can assume a couple things. They probably got some solid running backs in the stable. Um, they do a pretty good job at developing those guys. Um, you know, rewind back to episode one, we kind of talked about, um, you know, their sort of lineage of, of uh, yeah. you know, above average to elite running backs over recent history. And they also always have a really great offensive line. Um, those guys get drafted fairly high. Um and they they they're very run heavy, and so we can probably expect. Well, I don't know because if Grammar's plays, he showed that he can air it out. So even then, mm-hmm. we we know they have a decent running game, but will they lean on the passing game even more? I think it plays to their advantage to uh, pass more against Michigan. I don't think it's it's not very hard to realize that watching film. So yeah, maybe you can't even predict that the thing that you normally would. You almost can't at this point. Yeah. So, and the running game hasn't looked as 
good this year, but that could just be because they passed and they tore it up passing. So why bother running when you're doing this while passing? So, right. That's the issue you run into with such a small sample size is did the context of that game. Yes, they played play? Illinois. So, right. Illinois sucks. I mean, we <laughs> suck, but at least so far, we don't look like we suck like Illinois. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it's tough to say, like, okay, did they just pass a lot because they played a really poor team? Or and... are they actually just going to pass a lot now? Right, exactly. So it would have been nice to see them play, you know, uh, maybe Tier 2 or Tier 3 Big, big Ten team between Purdue or, or Nebraska, uh, even though those aren't, like, top contenders. Yeah, they're, just they're not world pretty... beaters, but it's at least something else to give us a hint. Yeah, they're above Illinois so, for sure. So, um, let's go ahead and talk about a couple breakout uh, players we think might you know, pop onto the scene this, uh, this, this week, it's a little bit tougher as we get later in the season. Cause you know, the more that we see these guys play, it's maybe not a breakout player per se. It's not like they come out of nowhere. Um, but maybe somebody who's going to have a breakout performance. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to talk about Roman Wilson. I, I think he, we're seeing him incorporated in the offense more. He had his first touchdown pass or his first touchdown reception um, I think he stays on that trajectory. Um, it's sort of playing out like the receiving tandem between Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black did, Tariq's first year, obviously before he broke his foot. I, I fully anticipated Donovan Peoples-Jones being the, you know, lead, like clear-cut top receiver. And he ended up just sort of splitting reps with, or receptions and targets with Tariq Black and eventually Nico Collins, just because they were also, um, you know, so productive. I similarly thought that AJ Henning, based on what I was hearing from coaches, was the the number one guy. You know, he's our guy going forward. But Rowan Wilson seems to be either a getting open more, or b Joe Milton has a better connection with him, just because he's getting more targets. Right. Mm-hmm. They're both getting targets in the red zone, like we said. Um, you know, AJ Henning almost had his first touchdown grab as well, but. Uh, among the receivers, I really like Roman Wilson. I like what he has. He's speedy. Yeah, he gets open is, is a big one. Like some of our guys have a hard time getting open sometimes. Um, but I think uh, Roman Wilson and I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna put a slash. I'm gonna say Roman Wilson and Ronnie Bell because guys, I don't know if we talked about it enough this, in this episode. There was a huge positive on Saturday. Ronnie Bell came alive, um, and mm-hmm. we need that. We need that from the veteran in the receivers room. Um, he was he's played hero in a couple of games in his Wolverine career. We need him to do the same going forward. He needs to be a safety net option for Joe uh, as a young quarterback, and he proved to be that. And he had his first true touchdown grab. Ronnie Bell has <laughs> uh, a notorious history in my eyes of getting like it within the five yard line, but not scoring. Mm-hmm. And he finally had a catch in the end zone, which I was so happy about. But I'm going to say those two guys have big games um, or productive games against Wisconsin if we play them. Um, I think they they both get open between the two of them. I think we'll see two receiving touchdowns. All right. Um, I have – well, since you did two, I'll do two. Um, so my first breakup player of the game, Blake Corum. It is time to let this dude eat. Preach. He – when he gets the ball, he does stuff. Like, he gets it done. And he's a true freshman. It's clear he's got some serious speed. Get this guy out on the edge. 
Let him get some yards. He is really, really good for a true freshman. Like, he, primarily, let him get out receiving. Like, yeah. Because uh, each so first game he has one catch, twenty four yards, right off the bat. Game against Michigan State, he only has two catches. Game against Indiana, he only has one catch. Went for twenty one yards. Like, involve this dude in the pass game. Come on. Right. Because most likely coming out of the backfield, he's probably going to match up on a linebacker. So he's got a huge speed advantage there. Let's take advantage of him. For sure. My other breakout player of the game, it's not really a breakout player because he he did very well against Indiana, honestly. And he did very well against Michigan State. And I truly don't want to see him much, but Brad Robbins, man, the punter is killing he is a really great punter so it should be helping our defense out a lot because he is going 50 over 50 for most of his punts like he's pinning india uh, he pinned them inside the 20 numerous times like he's doing a great job and i expect him to keep doing a great job because if our offense isn't clicking we need to flip the field and he's been doing now, if our defense right. can figure their stuff out, maybe we can start winning that field change battle. But as we said against Michigan State, I think he pinned him inside the 10 four times. Like, Yeah, that's you, crazy. You can't find a punter to do that. He is so good. And I and you like, really look you forward like to, to what he's got in store. Yeah, you like to appreciate him for it, too. It's yeah. just like, it's, it's tough to, it's it's tough to brag him. It's tough to love. Because it's the only yeah. player on your team where you're actually probably upset that they go on the field. Right. You don't want them to have a lot of plays. So, a lot of touches. Like, yeah. His fans are actively booing him as he goes on the field because that means the offense didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right. Poor guy. And then at the Jeez. same time, the opponent's cheering because he's going on the field. So, it's right. a weird position to be in. But, for sure. Of people to breakout player, Brad Robbins. Uh, whenever Chance runs for president, his uh, slogan will be "Punters are people too." Uh, so and, it'd be uh, more like "Take a chance" or something, some sort of chance name pun. Sure, sure. Well, um, Chancellor, that brings us to uh, the end of our episode. I know it feels pretty quick after our break there, but we went pretty long in the uh, early going just because it felt like there's oh, just so much to say about the uh, frustrations that we are getting with this team right now, but. Um, nonetheless, we, we hope, we think we're playing a game this weekend. And so we have to look forward to that. Active fingers and, uh, crossed. Yeah. And so, um, let's go ahead and we'll give our, uh, any closing remarks we have as well as our final predictions. I will start with this. Every game for a football program should be a quote unquote must win, right? Every next game is the most important game. I get that philosophy. Um, I think you also need to be cognizant of the context of where you are in the grander scheme of things, meaning your conference. So in the grander scheme of things, Michigan is very much out of the equation. Um, I think if some miracle happens, you know, they all get a heavy dose of Michael Jordan's secret stuff from Space Jam, and they're all of a sudden all-stars the rest of the season, and we go undefeated. We somehow 
pull a rabbit out of the hat against Ohio State and we win. Um, going, well, that would put us at six and two. Mm-hmm. I still don't think we win the East doing so. No, uh, unless Ohio-, Ohio State loses a second game if they somehow lose to us as well. Right, but I don't see that happening personally. Nope. And Probably even not. then, I think if you beat Ohio State, it writes a lot of wrongs. Um, but let's be real. Probably wouldn't happen. So at best, you're probably looking at going five and three this year. And that's if the season turns around miraculously. Best. Yeah. Which we haven't seen so far, and we really don't have any reason to believe it will. Um, but if we go five and three, count this up as a championship caliber season for me, because that means we turn the boat around. Um, but until then, I don't see a very good outlook on this year. And so for me, this year really is, I'm not going to say rebuilding because we're not really rebuilding from anything, right? We didn't have an epic collapse as a program. We've had a couple of really ugly losses. Um, but this year is really just a developmental year for me. And so that said, this week we have to show improvement. I'm not even saying we have to win. We have to show some sort of consistency on the offensive line and the defensive line. We need push, we need pass rush, and we need to figure out our running game. I hope that that looks like running to the outside because we have speed on this team. They can get sideline to sideline quickly. Um, Blake Corum has showed that explosiveness. Chris Evans has that explosiveness and shiftiness. And even Charbonnet has some quickness to him. So, and, and then we have Haskins as well. They're all quick. We have a bunch of quick receivers. Let's get to the outside. On defense, let's limit big plays. They're going to have a couple big ones. It's going to happen. Let's limit them. Let's get some sacks. Let's get some pressures. And let's maybe not give up, what, four to 500 yards in a game. Hope, I mean, on paper, it, it kind of matches up kind of nicely because Wisconsin is so cold (laughs) they haven't had a practice in two weeks um and so hopefully that gives us some sort of edge but at this point i can't predict a michigan win uh based on what i've seen so uh for all those reasons i'm predicting a wisconsin win um a road win at the big house this weekend um in, in a night game 28 to 17 badgers i think um it's close for the first half and i think wisconsin um, I think their defense clamps down. I think they they figure out how to stop Joe Milton um, because that's really our only offense right now is Joe in, in the passing game. And I think they run away with the game. Um, so that I have them winning by 11. So that would be four touchdowns for the, for the Badgers and two touchdowns for Michigan and then a field goal uh, in garbage time. So Chance, what do you think? Um, I have to agree that this season definitely seems like a – developmental season with all the inexperience we have, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, that it just needs to be a development year. That's not what we hope for. That's not the hype that was built or anything like this, but that's the reality we're living in. And given that we know nothing about Wisconsin, we know they won their first game against Illinois by a lot, but we don't know who's going to play. Or anything. So I'm going to make my prediction off the fact that everybody from Wisconsin plays and it's the same team as it was week one. So that being said, I, until Michigan can prove otherwise, 
I'm picking Wisconsin because they need Michigan needs to show that one they can come into a game not completely lethargic and realize, hang on, we're playing football here. So I'm picking Wisconsin 38-24. I think the offense will take another step forward. I think the defense will still be in that same gray area of what's going on and trying to figure it out because we played a ton of man against Michigan State. didn't work. Then I feel like Don Brown may have been heavily influenced to being told that, hey, we're playing a ton of zone this week. So they're deal with it. And that didn't work either. So I think so what do you defense do? is just going to be lost. And presumably with all the Wisconsin players that I'm saying would play, play, I don't think it's like, I think Michigan could keep it a little close because they have like Milton's not playing bad. He's just a first year starter and he needs some help. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to believe Josh Gaddis does not doesn't overthink things and just get the ball to your fast guys in space and let's do let's play ball let's yeah. play ball I yeah if I see another inside zone to start this game I will drive all the way to Ann Arbor buddy and I will find out where you live <laughs> and I will write you a strongly worded letter yeah <laughs> so what was it what was your score prediction again 38-24 Wisconsin. All right, so you got a little bit high score, a more high scoring game than me. Um, As yeah, I if, said, I'm banking on Wisconsin having everybody. Right, if if they so. have everybody for sure. Um, yeah, if I was betting, man, I would. Uh, so the spread right now is Wisconsin is four point favorites uh, on the road, so we're we're the we're the underdogs here. Um, Over under is fifty four points for the game. I, if I was a betting man, I would take the under on this game and I would take the money, I'd play the money line. Um, I would go with the Badgers. Um, ESPN gives them an 87.3% chance to win this game um, based on some analytics or their football power index, which frankly isn't very reliable. But I would go with the uh, the experts here and uh, I'll, I'll take the Badgers. So, yeah, with, with the spread being four points in Wisconsin's favor. Hammer the over on Wisconsin, man. Right. <laughs> that is easy money. That brings me back to my days this past spring, or it's last winter when we still had sports happening. Uh, with the Red Wings being so bad that I'd put a dollar on every team that played against them. Because <laughs> if the Red Wings lost, hey, I won money. Right. The Red Wings won. Sweet, the Red Wings won. It was only a dollar. Right. <laughs> I made a fair amount of money that way. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. Playing it's against awful, team. but it makes hey. it more exciting because either you're happy you win or you're happy you win money. Right. <laughs> either way, you're happy. Oh, man. Well, um, we'll go ahead and close up here. Oh, I forgot. Let's do some bold predictions. Um, we didn't talk about this prior, so I am going to spitball here. This is going to be a bit of an educated uh, guess as far as my bold prediction, uh, based on what I saw from last week. So Ronnie Bell, when he had himself a day, uh, six receptions for 149 yards and a touchdown. It really took the, until the second half for him to kind of come alive. But even so, he showed up the way that you hope he would in some of these games. And with some of the promise that you're seeing from 
Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, and AJ Henning, as we've kind of talked about. And I mean, we can't forget about Giles Jackson. Um, he, Joe Milton and him clearly have a connection. I think we see two receivers either come just just short of or exceed a hundred yard games receiving. Uh, so we'll have two receivers, one of them being Ronnie Bell, go for about a hundred yards receiving. Um, because I think similarly to Indiana, I think the run game disappears. Um, unfortunately, I think we mo- we see more of the same. They seem pretty dead set on running the ball up the middle um, and sticking with it. So I think we do that to a fault and forces us to abandon the run game late in the game and try to catch up. And we have two receivers who go over 100, but basically for the wrong reasons because we're trying to play catch up. So that is my bold prediction. What about you, Chance? All right. That's a bold prediction for sure. I probably should have been thinking about this when you were talking. Uh, my bold prediction, going off the top of my head, will be that either Brad Robbins fakes a punt, throws a touchdown, or, more likely, I think uh, sophomore receiver Cornelius Johnson gets another touchdown. Because last week, he had a huge touchdown right after uh, – Indiana safety got kicked out of the game for taunting or he, no, he punched. Uh, yeah, I think he punched Ronnie Bell in the head mm-hmm. and literally the next play, Cornelius Johnson, 37 yard touchdown pass. Boom. Right. And Cornelius Johnson was the second leading receiver last week in receptions, So, and yards, and he's the only other one that Bell, they got a touchdown. So I'm going to say Cornelius Johnson goes, he went four for 82 last week, so let's say five for 100 and touchdown. So it's right. kind of in the same band of years, but I'm rolling with it because Cornelius Johnson seems to be that second receiver behind Bell that's kind of separating himself. Yeah, agreed. So I'm going to roll with him. I like it. You went from very bold to slightly less bold. <laughs> Brad Robbins throwing a touchdown. Hey, <laughs> okay, Brad Robbins can do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, but like think about the context of that. They have to be at, at least in like the Wisconsin forty, and so for him to throw, you're predicting him to throw like a forty yard touchdown. I was predicting him to throw like a five yard pass that the guy would run for for thirty five yards. <laughs> um, I like it though. I like it. Well, yeah, we're kind of in the same vein with the the passing game. So, all right, that will do it. Um, uh, game coverage is this Saturday um, on ABC. We will be playing the Wisconsin Badgers at 7.30 p.m. in the big house. And contrary to our predictions here on this episode, we do believe hope for a Michigan win. Um, It's just tough to see at this point. But we will be rooting alongside you, uh, chanting hail from the bleachers, as we always do, um, in the highs and the lows. Uh, We've been there before. So we will be cheering Go Blue, and we will see you guys uh, in the next episode. Go Blue. Go Blue, guys. Brad Robbins for Heisman.